0: I heard that the Talica boys were gonna play some heavy shit tonight. Here we are with another edition of Metal Tales from the Road. This is going to be the last one for a little bit while the boys are on a break. We're talking about the Fresno Show, which was on December 9th, 2018. Here with our friend and patron, Chris Kakamis, How you doing, homie?
1: Hey, dude. Doing well. I'm, I'm super psyched to be on.
0: I put out, I didn't realize we had a guy lined up, our friend Danny, and he had to pull out last minute, and I just, I've had such a busy few weeks touring, I forgot to line someone up, so I had a few hours to kill in my hotel room here in Raleigh, I put it out to the patrons, and I'm glad that you were available, so thanks for being here last minute.
1: Yeah, dude, no problem. I, I'm, I'm glad that I caught it. I almost missed it because I've had a little bit of a busy day, and then I got the notification from Patreon, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely want to be on.
0: Cool. So if you don't know what we're talking about, we have a Patreon. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash podcast. We are doing these Metal Tales recaps from patrons uh, from the whole tour, and we've even opened it up to previous tours, previous notable shows. If you want to come on and be an ambassador for whatever cool show you went and saw – uh, you can go to the Patreon and, and get on board there and figure that out. So what I firstly want to talk to you about is you are part of a, a gear review YouTube channel called Basic Gear Review, right? Yes, that's correct. And you contacted us and you asked me to play one of my Lunar Satan songs and video it, send you the stems, and then you actually reamp that signal and you demo different bass gear with it, right?
1: Exactly, yeah, and, and the reason that I contacted you because a, I love the Lunar Satan tracks, but b, I'm trying to branch out and show a lot of these units in a mix. Right. So, like, like you know, you sent me the the tracks without the bass, and I reamped it. The first one we did, which I thought was fitting, was the Cliff Burton Power Fuzz Tribute Wah from Morley, and that just sounded great.
0: Right. It did. It's it's really fun. I mean, I, for anyone out there who's into you know, for gear nerds, we've seen lots of these kinds of gear review channels. There there are a million of them out there. This basic gear review it's professionally shot it looks great it sounds great and it's a really unique way to really hear what these pedals sound like kind of in action
1: yeah definitely and that's kind of what we pride ourselves on is there's not a whole lot of bass stuff out there i know premier guitar kind of has their bass channel but right. it seems like they have pretty mixed reviews um so i you know i just kind of wanted to enter it seemed like that market was really wanting for that kind of thing but i mean you know we also we don't stick to just bass stuff we'll we'll run guitar pedals we'll run guitar amps you know, you, you give it to us and, and we'll make a video for it.
0: And where are you guys based out of?
1: Uh, we're based out of Ventura, California. We're about 40 to 50 miles north of L.A. Um, so it's, you know, with traffic, it takes about an hour to get down there. And uh, we're actually going to the Nam show in Anaheim in January.
0: Oh, fun. Winter NAM. Yeah, dude, love it. So you're going to have like a boot, like a basic gear review booth set up or something?
1: Uh, no, we don't have a booth because we're not quite a vendor. What we do is we just walk around with the cameras and we'll go to, you know, Boss gotcha. or Dunlop or any of the manufacturers and kind of do interviews with them.
0: So speaking of that, so you have all this cool gear, all these pedals. Are companies sending you those to get reviewed, or are you buying these yourselves? How does that part of it work?
1: It's it's a mixture of both. As we go on, more companies are sending us stuff. We have a really good relationship with this company out of Finland called called Dark Glass, and they've been really kind of hitting the market hard. Um, but we also are we have good relationships with our local music stores, and they, they loan us things. But I think the coolest feat so far. Is last October we got an invite from Warwick, which, if you're not a gear nerd, Warwick is the company that endorses Rob Trujillo. Hmm. Um, they're located in a small rural town in eastern Germany. We flew out there for a week for something called GitCon. It's similar to VidCon, but it's it's for gear review people. Um, so of course Rob Trujillo's base is there. They got a big picture of him in the showroom, and it was it
0: was a great trip. Wow, that is interesting. So how long has Rob been endorsed with them or by them?
1: Um, i'm not sure exactly but i mean as i've been following metallica since i was like six and as as long as i've known about him he seems to have been playing them so i'm guessing quite a while
0: well rad well we'll talk more about how to how to go find basic gear review they're on youtube you could just search it but we'll we'll make sure we plug that clearly later speaking of you getting the metallica so you got into them when you were six what what year was that and what's kind of the musical online point for you
1: Oh, that was about 96, 97. My birthday falls in December, but, uh, luckily I was born on an even year. So it's pretty easy to keep track of my age. But, uh, one of my cousins or second cousins gave me a Beavis and Butthead comic. And I remember being just like obsessed with it. I loved it. I started watching the show and I noticed these two band names on these t-shirts, AC/DC. I'd kind of heard of, but Beavis has this Metallica shirt. And I thought, what, what is this? You know? Right. So at the time I, you know, asked my dad, I was like, Hey, uh, I really want to check this out. I don't know what it is, but I want to, I want to learn about it. So one day he's coming home from work. Uh, He worked at a Chevy dealership at the time and he brings home Metallica reload. And it was the newest one at the time. And I put it on heard fuel and I was like, that's it. That's, this is my band. And I got to know the entire album. I'd play my PlayStation one and listen to attitude or Prince charming or whatever. And, that's that's kind of where I came online was with Reloads. So like you, those two albums really have a soft spot for me.
0: Yeah, big time. I mean, I can't tell you how fun it is to hear the first three songs you mentioned: Fuel, Attitude, and Prince Charming. <laughs> yeah, dude. One of them obviously a big song, but two of those are just forgotten gems. I, I like I, I like Attitude more and more. I mean,
1: oh yeah, I've always loved that, and I don't know why Prince Charming seems to get I feel like a little more flack than it deserves. That is a barn burner.
0: I totally. I think the "Hey Ma, look it's me" part maybe is hokey or something, but the, the, those records sound so fucking great. The drums and the guitars. James is at the peak of his vocals, in my opinion. Maybe a little before that. Oh. Maybe SNM might represent the peak, but
1: yeah, I have to agree with you on that one.
0: There's a um, speaking of Reload and that whole saga, that whole that whole surrounding mystery and and uh, enigma of that era. So there's like a thread on the forums. Are you on the forums at all? The, the Met forums.
1: No, I'm not.
0: Okay, there's like a whole conversation about like, why do people not like Reload? And on the journey of doing this podcast, it seems like those two records have aged better than people think. I think most people kind of like them. I think you're an outlier at this point if you dislike those records.
1: Yeah, there's nothing bad about those records in and of themselves. I think, you know, the classic people have an idea of what the new record is going to be, and when it's not your idea, you don't want anything to do with it. Right,
0: right. Yeah, and I get that. I mean, that's, but it's just weird. It just, the, the, that's such a true statement. And then you kind of usually grow into it and you, you get over what your preconceived notions were. But the problem is then Saint Anger happened and it really isn't that great. You know what I'm saying? Like, that record yeah, just see, doesn't that, stand up to the other material.
1: I, I have an unpopular opinion. I, I absolutely love that album. And I right. just remember when that, when that came out, I kind of got offline just for a little bit. Um, And then right when I came back on, they were really hyping that album. And again, I didn't really have any preconceived notions of what it should have been. So I took it for what it was. And I I loved it. I still love it.
0: So you would have been 12, 13. You were 13, right? When that record came out? Yeah, I was about
1: 13 when that came
0: out. That's such an impressionable age. And I'm not not saying that you don't have a sincere connection to that record. The records that I love from that age... I mean, Bush uh, 16 Stone comes to mind. Uh, I actually, we went to a record store today. We usually go to record stores when we're traveling. And uh, I almost bought Bush 16 Stone on CD. That's how, that's the strange nostalgic rabbit hole I'm in. I'm buying old, used Bush CDs dude. Oh,
1: dude, I I do the same thing. I went down to Amoeba Music a couple years ago. I bought Load and Reload on CD, even though I own it on like three different mediums. Right,
0: right. (laughs) Well, I've been putting CDs in my car just as a way to slow down and like, listen to the full record again, you know, like deep cuts and let it cycle through and you know? Yeah,
1: and see, I, my car doesn't actually have a CD player, but I still do the same kind of thing with my phone. Right.
0: Um, so I totally
1: get that that train of thought. Just
0: kind of discipline yourself. Because you know, when we were kids, there you could skip CDs, but this wasn't really... You'd put it on somewhere and you'd let it ride. You know, you weren't just sitting there with your finger on the skip button. So trying to get connected back with what that was like. And I, I identify that period a lot with load and reload. It's cool that you do, too. Oh,
1: so, yeah, dude, So I did you,
0: albums. when you got into reload, did you go back... like? Because if you getting online with Fuel, was it jarring to hear Kill 'Em All? I mean, did that feel like a different band to you?
1: It uh, it did. It took me a little while to get into the first three, because I went from Load, Reload, and then I heard that my uncle had a couple Metallica discs, and I'm like, well, I have to try to absorb as much of this as possible. So he gave me Injustice for All. I remember loving Blackened, but I think I was too young to understand that song dynamics could change. So I'd go to Injustice for all, and it opens with that, you know, that classical intro. And at the time, I was like, "No, I want something that's going to be heavy." So right. skip, skip, you know. And I didn't realize how bitchin' the end of one is until quite a bit later.
0: Right, right. And it, when did you start playing music?
1: Uh, I started playing drums when I was about nine or ten, and then got into guitar around
0: thirteen. And like most of us, I mean, I imagine Metallica was a big part of that, learning Metallica songs.
1: Oh, dude, the summer between, I think, sixth and seventh grade, I would sit there, watch Live Shit Seattle, 89. I'd get maybe two songs through and then get so, I'd have to pause it to go in the garage, play those songs on drums, learn them the best I could, get tired, come back in, watch three or more songs and and just continue that cycle.
0: Yeah, I've had the similar experiences. You're, You're just so amped from something that you can't even finish doing it. I remember when I was starting to learn how to write songs, I would watch that jeff Tweedy, the wilco documentary i'm trying to break your heart i don't know are you i don't know if you're familiar with wilco at all no not too much they're this cool they're this cool chicago band they're kind of like indie rock and noise rock and shit but anyway this guy jeff Tweedy's is a great songwriter and i would watch that documentary and i would have to stop it and try to go write a song it was just that inspiring and i, I dude how many of us have that same ex- experience with seattle 89 for sure or cunning stunts you know
1: Oh, I love Cunning Stunts.
0: For me, Cunning Stunts is probably the more the more influential live DVD, more so than the the binge and Purge.
1: Yeah, just because the, as the name would suggest, the the stunt aspect of it was killer, and then that in the round setup that they had with the two drum kits. I mean, that was right. a that was a
0: spectacle. Yeah, totally. So, what was the first time you got to see him live?
1: Uh, March fifth, two thousand four, and that show was pretty special. It was LA Forum, um, and that was the world premiere of Dyer's Eve.
0: Wow, yeah. We were just talking to um, this guy, Shane Obershaw, who's in the One Tribute Band. It's going to be on next week's episode, but oh, we, were, cool. we were talking about how cool the 2004 set lists were. Like They were really kind of stretching that year for whatever reason.
1: Yeah, the set lists were good. I, from what I remember, and listening back to those live Metallica recordings... There's there's quite a bit of spots where they're not really at the top of their game right and I've come up with some theories I think because they hit it so hard in 03 after kind of their you know revival of, of Hetfield being at a rehab that I think they may have kind of burnt themselves out a little bit right um, but when they came back again for the death magnetic cycle they it seemed like they kind of found their footing and their pace again yeah totally but so wh- yeah and then I saw them again uh, speaking of the setlist though I think I saw them again in San Diego in November of that year and they busted out no leaf clover
0: Wow. Yeah. What's the? Is there an origin story, or is there a? Why did they pl- debut Dire's Eve that one night? Is did someone request it? Did you know why they played it that night?
1: No, I have no idea. I just remember my friend and I walking in, and him, you know, it was both our first times, and he's like, "Wouldn't it be cool if they played Dire's Eve?" I'm like, dude, they're not going to play it. They've never played it. It's right. been what 15, twenty years of 15, yeah, 15, yeah what, 15. 89
0: or whatever, eighty eight to two thousand four. Eighty
1: eight, yeah. So it's like, dude, if they're not going to play it in the first fifteen years, I really doubt it. And then, sure enough, there it was.
0: Wow. How'd it sound? And it was
1: great. Um, not great, but, <laughs> but I'm going to let that slide just because of you know how special it was. James kind of forgot quite a bit of lyrics, um, and it was it was a tad on the sloppy side. Right. But then when you go back and, and watch the, the Nemes DVD from 09, it seems like they kind of, again, they, they found their footing on that one, and they were able to land it a little bit better.
0: And a song like that, I mean, I'm sure you get it too, but like it's really more about what it means that they played the song than that they... You know, executed it perfectly. That's just not as important to me. You know, yeah, me too. People who want to get weeded down about the kick drum and shit, I just that bores me. I'm getting more and more bored with that.
1: Yeah, I I, I don't. I don't like to slag on them. I mean, I I like to be honest. Of like, okay, well, you didn't land that as much, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to enjoy it. Totally,
0: totally. And it'd be weird to it'd be weird to not point out shit like that too. It's like, kind of want to have a fully inclusive fan experience here. A, A nice, honest give and take, I think, is healthy. Oh yeah, absolutely. So fast forwarding to Hardwired, what, what were your thoughts when that came out? Do you, are you a fan of the record? Tell us about that.
1: Oh yeah, I, lo- I love it. I remember when they dropped the video to Hardwired. I think it was like September of seventeen or sixteen. Sorry, um, I was so I mean so excited. Like right. I just I couldn't sleep that night, and I was so looking forward to that record. And I love it. I mean, pretty much every song on there. There's no track skipper for me. But the one weird issue that I've been finding, and I don't know if you've noticed this too, is. When you bust it through top to bottom, I feel like even though the production is outstanding on that record, it, there is a little bit of fatigue that I experience that I don't experience with any other records, including Death Magnetic or St. Anger.
0: Hmm. Well, it's pretty long. I wonder if that has anything to do with it.
1: Maybe, or it could be that maybe everything is just in E all the time. You know, yeah. I really liked the E-flat era.
0: I did too. I, the load, load Reload, I, I agree. Uh, yeah,
1: I feel like it fits his voice really nice, and it's just, it sounds great.
0: Is Garage Inc in E-flat? Yeah. Okay, cool. And I guess S&M was, too.
1: Yeah, they they do pretty much, I think from that era, from Load on um, until Death Magnetic, everything was drop-tuned, and then now, even live, everything is is still drop-tuned.
0: It's an interesting choice, you know. We can rip on this, because you understand music. It's It's interesting that they record the records in E-standard now, but still play them live a half-step down. I wonder... I mean, I will say there is kind of a difference. A half step really can make a, a tonal and, a, and an emotional difference, in a, depending on what the song is. Oh, absolutely! So I'm a maybe huge they fan just of flat. yeah, me too. I mean, like Guns N' Roses did it, and I wonder if it. I guess maybe they kind of a beat it, and we're like, let's just really push it forward for the records. Maybe it's a little more um, immediate sounding, or to do it in standard. I don't know. I'd love to From talk to them. From what I about understand. That.
1: From what I understand, it was it was Rick Rubin who thought that it suited Hetfield's voice better because there's a little bit more anxiety. I mean, this this has kind of been documented, but it, it's a little bit more of a struggle for him to hit those higher notes with age. That it kind of brings out this anxiety in his voice and this little bit of strain. Hmm. But naturally, you can't keep that up night after night, you know, right. doing it live. So you got to kind of you pace yourself.
0: Interesting. Wow. Well, I actually haven't heard that. Oh, you really? say it's okay. well documented. I'm like, well, oh, I I only host a Metallica podcast. No big deal. <laughs> Never heard that. That's cool. I can see them. Like, I could see Rick being a guy that wanted to p- really push them, like, to get because his whole deal was like getting back to puppets, getting back exactly. to that that kind of yeah anxiety or the being on the edge of it not landing and there being something kinetic and palpable about how that pushes through you know a car speaker or whatever. That's cool.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's not my personal favorite. I I think I mean, I love Death Magnetic, but I I probably would have liked a little more if it would have been a step down. Yeah. But uh, I mean, hey, if that if that's what they need to do to keep going, then I'm going to support them, you know, no matter what they do.
0: What do you make of the fact of this tour, at least this leg of the tour, the North American Arena tour? I think we only got Cyanide and Day That Never Comes. What do you make of the lack of Death Magnetic attention on these set lists?
1: Uh, I'm going to have to get I mean, I don't. Think it's because they're too complicated necessarily. I think it might just be they have a lot of new material to showcase that they you know they want to put out there in addition to the almost never-ending amount of staples they have at least you know from the first five records. When you look at the set list now, they're hitting at least one song from the first five. Maybe they'll do Fuel and then everything else is from Hardwire. There's no Saint Anger, no Death Magnetic.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's like almost in a way their own success. It is a limiting factor when they're having to look at a set list. I mean, I totally get it. And the, you know, on the on the Death Magnetic, the World Magnetic Tour, they played the shit out of that record too. We when we got to see Judas Kiss and My Apocalypse and all that long on almost every set list. Broken, beaten, scarred. Oh, yeah. Did you were you able to yeah. see them on that tour? You said,
1: Yeah, I got I got to them twice on that one. Uh, okay. December seventeenth, two thousand eight, on the rail, and then December twelfth, two thousand nine, up in the nosebleeds in San Jose.
0: And you had rail for the show, this Fresno show we're about to talk about too, right? Yes. Tell me a little about the rail experience on the world on uh, the World Magnetic Tour. What was that like?
1: Uh, I mean, that we're we're looking at like eleven, ten, ten or eleven years ago, mm-hmm. but uh, I, that was my first time on the rail, and I just remember when Hetfield would come up to the closest mic to us, the amount of push was insane. Mm-hmm. You know, getting up against the rail and just like, you know, you're not ready for it, so it's like, oh shit, I can't breathe. You know, <laughs> but uh, wow. But it was awesome, dude. And I, from what I remember, the 2008 Forum show, from where I was standing, sounded really good. Um, I can't quite say the same for this last show in Fresno. Right. Um, and, I mean, there's probably a couple factors for that. But, but yeah, the, the World Magnetic shows were great.
0: Yeah, I wish – man, I just wasn't really paying much – I was touring a lot then and wasn't paying as much attention. I, I wish I could have seen that. Um, so moving into this show – did you have any of these packages or anything? How did you get the rail?
1: Uh, I got the – I remember I think I bought the tickets in March, maybe mm-hmm. late February. Whenever, like, I mean they went on sale on a, a Friday at 10, and I'm sitting there at 9.58 – refreshing the page, totally, you know? totally. um, so I ended up buying the unforgiven package because I did the whiplash package in Pasadena last year. Okay. Um, so I figured, you know, I, as much as I'd love to see the, the museum again, it, I've seen it, you know, and I don't have a tremendous amount of money, so I'll go unforgiven, get there a little early and we'll just kind of power walk cause you can't run, you know, find that spot on the rail and just sneak right in.
0: Is it the kind of deal where if you don't, if you're not strategic with the, the power walking or kind of have a game plan could you not get the rail even with unforgiven package
1: it is possible yeah because they let in the other two first or at least the whiplash first and we weren't quite at the head of the line of of unforgiven so it was it was tough we we found what ended up being you know from a view standpoint the perfect spot right on the corner i mean you can't get any closer than that right um but uh, my, my game plan was you know, if we don't make rail, if they're all taken, let's, let's just go to the soundboard. You know, that's it's going to look great. It's going to sound great. And that's that was plan B.
0: Cool. Yeah. But you got the rail. You were stoked. It's your second time on the rail. So you may, you may be a little more prepared for the surge that might come if if oh, oh, yeah. Headfield's up on your side.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is actually my third time on the rail.
0: Third time on the rail. Wow. Yeah. You've had some good experiences.
1: Yeah, I've had six shows total and three up on the rail.
0: Wow. Okay, cool. So tell give us your perspective on the, the Jim Brewer opening.
1: I, you know, I actually really enjoyed it, um, yeah. because you know, every show you go to, there's an opening band, and sometimes they're memorable, sometimes they're not. It just seems like they're there from for an obligatory sense. But it was really refreshing, and I love Jim Brewer. Yeah, I first saw him on the uh, MTV Icon thing, mm-hmm. um, so it was great to see him. He had, you know, a lot of Metallica related jokes, talking about the Aussie tour and how they would show him up, you know, he's like, they're coming out master of puppets, and then, you know, Damage Incorporated, and Ozzy's, and he does his Ozzy impression that I'm not going to even try to do, but <laughs> right. it's hilarious. But there was one cool part where he interacts with the crowd quite a bit, and there was one, one section where he asked, you know, who's the oldest Metallica fan in here? And naturally, shouts come from all about the arena. Mm-hmm. Um, finally gets around, there's a lady up in kind of the lower level bowl. Um, turns out she was, I think 67. I could be mistaken. There's, you know, obviously 20,000 other people that sure. could correct me, but you know,
0: and we'll have them do that, by the way, I'm going to, yeah. I'll have them vet this, the information <laughs> on this episode.
1: Please do. Yeah, she was, she was about 67, late 60s. 60, she was there with her husband and, uh, her name, her last name was Savage. I forget her first name, but she's got this pink sweater on that says Savage as fuck. Hmm. And it was, so Jim actually brought her up on stage and. Crowned her the metal queen and, you know, walked her all around and she's waving at everyone. It was great.
0: Wow. That's fun. Did they do any kind of the, did they have fans come up there? What do they do sometimes where they do, I guess like trivia or they mime out titles of songs. Did they do anything like that? Like any kind of contests or shit like that?
1: Yeah. This particular one, um, they, Jim played a, a series of riffs and he's like, I want you to count, you know, how many riffs are from and justice for all. And it ended up being five, but they would throw in a black album riff or ride the lightning riff. Um, Wow. I forget. I forget all of them. But you know, there ended up being five, and you know, I'm right on it. Like, short of Straw comes on or frayed ends, I'm like, okay, there's three. You know, there's four.
0: <laughs> but so there wasn't
1: necessarily any prizes that I remember.
0: Well, you. I guess the either the shame or the bragging rights, depending on how how you fare. Do you think? You, yeah. would do, you think? You think? How do you feel like you'd perform? Not only knowing the answers to those, but being on stage in front of twenty thousand people at a, on Metallica's stage. You think you would perform pretty well under that pressure?
1: Uh, see, when you bring in the Metallica stage aspect, it's like, ooh, I don't know, because yeah. I can I can burn you the track listing every album in order, give you the years of the albums, all
0: that stuff. Right. But
1: when you put me in front of twenty thousand, I might freeze up a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I I feel like I'm I'm partly we've been in contact with Jim a little bit, and uh, I'm partly mortified he's going to call me and Ethan up there, and be, when they come to Nashville next month, and these guys. Host a Metallica podcast. Let's see what they got, and then we just totally suck at it. <laughs> I'm Like, Fuck. no leaf
1: clover or not no leaf clover. Al Al-Sorn. Al-Sorn. was not yeah. SM. <laughs> yeah, totally.
0: It's like, well, just let it, let everyone just assume we're experts just because we do the show. Let's not let's not you know pull out pull the curtain <laughs> behind the odds and all that. So okay, so Jim does the thing. He gets everyone excited. What's the? Tell me a little bit about the rail culture you're at. So did you have a buddy with you?
1: I, actually, I brought my wife with me. This was, this was oh, her first cool. show.
0: Yeah, I think you mentioned that in the uh in the message. What did she think?
1: Oh, she she loved it. Like she she was really waiting for well we'll burn down the set list later, but she had a couple songs that she was really pulling for and right. uh didn't you know, one of them happened obviously, but uh she didn't get Four Horsemen, which she was kind of bummed about.
0: Wow. Well, it, it, that could have been possible, but yeah. It wouldn't have yeah, been it, it wouldn't have been, have been totally possible. futile for her to hope for that, like Dyers Eve or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or I'm in frightened. my case,
0: a little Carpe Diem baby. Come on, guys, a little Carpe oh. Diem baby, please.
1: I, I just want them to do both of those albums just for, in their entirety.
0: It'd be cool because so many of the songs they've never played. I mean, I can't believe they've never played Better Than You Live or Thorn Within or Where the Wild Things Are. It would be such a huge treat. I think, I think if they did a similar like 30th anniversary type big club show, it'd work out great just for diehards. There's some people in the forums who are saying they think Metallica should do an entire arena tour of deep cuts. And I'm like, dude, I don't think... I don't think they would sell. I don't think that would yeah, sell no, very well.
1: Yeah, that's
0: not gonna happen. It's so no, hard definitely. for diehards to just con- conceive of the fact that the the whole Metallica machine isn't just about them. It's just you know. <laughs> yeah. So, what did you make friends with anyone else around you and your wife? Were there what what was the culture like of the rail? Everyone excited? Everyone being generous and cool?
1: Yeah, everyone was pretty cool. Like, uh, you know, we kind of found a, a spot that maybe would suit one and a half and we kind of squeezed ourselves in there right. and just kind of, you know, hey, excuse me. It's cool if we squeeze in with you. And like, yeah, dude, go ahead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was there was a couple next to us. I don't know if they were married or whatnot, but, you know, dude, dude with his girlfriend or wife next to us. And then, uh, you know, it, it was pretty cool that nobody really got too rowdy. We didn't get kicked in the head or anything. So that's nice.
0: People have been saying that at some of these shows, it doesn't seem like the crowd is, you know, as energetic as maybe Seattle 89. What was your makeup from where you were of crowd excitement just in general throughout the show?
1: Uh, I mean, when you listen to some of the video clips that my wife got on her phone, the crowd is louder than James. Wow. But I want to defend some of those YouTube warriors who like, oh, my God, crowd is dead. Realize you're at a Metallica show. It's like, okay, yeah, no, definitely stoked to be there. But there's a balance of I can go crazy and mosh and stuff, but I want to soak in this experience. Oh, I 100% agree with you. So it's like, I mean, I get excited. I I sing every word. I do all the haze, all the dyes, all the stuff. But like, I'm I'm zeroed in. I want to know exactly where Hetfield's at. What guitar is he playing? You know, is Lars nailing that kick part? You know, like I'm soaking it in.
0: I'm the same way. I, I think if someone were to watch me watch a show, they might even have some of those complaints about me. It's just, I'm the same way. I'm singing with them, but I'm kind of honed in. I'm trying to learn and absorb and remember. I'm I'm even looking for little imperfections. I've been looking at them looking at each other. Ooh, oh, they, yeah. that looked like an inside joke or I like that they're laughing at each other and interacting with each other. And you really literally can't do that if you're headbanging like a goddamn 14-year-old.
1: Exactly. And so like that's that's where I kind of get a little frustrated with people who are just, you know, keyboard warriors talking about that. It's like, dude, don't mistake my, you know, being in tune with it for lack of excitement.
0: Well, I've never been as familiar with the keyboard warriors as when I started doing this goddamn podcast because they're <laughs> they're they out there. Do you ever get any kind of that stuff with your YouTube channel?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, we've been fortunate to where our positive comments greatly outweigh our negatives. But yeah. every once in a while you get those trolls who just you know just want to be dicks and they just start, you know, I mean, if they're talking trash about the unit, that's fine. I didn't build it. But when they start doing personal attacks on some of my guys and my players, it's like right. that's uncalled for. dude. Right.
0: I did see some guy said on the set the witch on fire video they were like I'll never understand why people don't play Cliff Burton songs with this Cliff Burton wah pedal. It's like, well,
1: <laughs> because we're trying to make a little bit of money, dude. Well, and it's like <laughs>
0: people aren't people don't buy that pedal just to play Metallica songs. That's exactly. you know what I'm saying he didn't use the pedal. He used the pedal as a tool. It's hard to it's hard for me to articulate that, but it's just weird to relegate it to just that. You only play Cliff songs on the Cliff Burton envelope filter <laughs> or whatever it is. All right, yeah, so no, totally. let's let's get into the set a little bit. So you're like our ambassador for all of us who couldn't have been at the show, and then for the people who were going to be at the show, they're getting to relive this experience through you. So you're our fearless leader. Take us through the set list.
1: All right, so I don't have it in front of me. Hopefully you have it. But they obviously it. Yeah, yeah. kick it off with the one-two punch of Hardwired and Atlas. And uh, you know, when, you, when you hear ACDC Long Way to the Top, you know it's coming, right? right. You're like, okay, cool. Right. That goes, lights go down, ecstasy happens. And then they they kind of walk out and they they each go their separate ways. So Lars and Robert kind of went my direction, and then James and Kirk went the other direction. Okay. Um. So Lars comes out, or sorry, Robert comes out first, and he's high-fiving everyone. So I got to high-five Rob and Fun. Lars is just you can see him in the zone. He's like he's not high-fiving anybody, and people are trying to reach out and touch him. I'm like just just le- let him be, you know, just let him do his thing. Right. So he gets up there and he's you know talking to his guy, hands on the sticks, and hardwired tape comes on. And then it's. Just, I love how they time it. Like he sits down at that kit at the perfect moment and oh, then just yeah. hits the snare and goes into it.
0: I, I don't know if you remember from the Pasadena show, but in the stadiums, it was. It almost made me nervous because I could, you know, the, all the faces are flashing on those big ass screens and the, it's getting louder and I'm not seeing the dudes. And then. <laughs> <laughs> literally at the very like there was no room for error like if he had tripped or something he wouldn't have been there
1: exactly yeah that's and that gets that gets, i feel yeah that could be really uh, anxiety inducing
0: but he probably kind of digs being on the edge of that too i could imagine that too but then like james and Kirk came up seemingly from out of nowhere just they just like magically appeared almost it was it was pretty powerful
1: oh yeah yeah i don't know how their their stage is set up but it's it's cool how they can just appear you know
0: yeah, it's real cool. I, I mean, I think they have little areas where they can kind of go and get water or get a towel or whatever the fuck they do. I think Lars maybe even has someone kind of like massaging his arms and shit in between tunes. And
1: Yeah, whenever they do like a tape for, you know, something like um, one or sanitarium or something, mm-hmm. I noticed that Lars has this little area under the stage where, I mean, it's not even tall enough to stand. He just kind of huddles in there and just looks like he just sits down. So probably, you know, getting some water or something, but he's yeah. got that on stage. So I'm not sure exactly what he's doing, but right. he goes in there quite a bit.
0: So hard lied, hardwired into the Atlas combo, into Seek. Anything memorable about those three tunes for you?
1: Um, Atlas was. See, here's the thing that kind of bugged me is the sound from where I was at wasn't that great. So I, it, it's hard for me to comment on how well they played. However, I I just downloaded the uh, the live Metallica recording. Oh and right. I've been kind of burning it down, and goddamn, they they nailed it. Like it's it's tight. It sounds really good. It's just unfortunate that I wasn't able to experience that in the moment.
0: I had that a little bit in the Snake Pit in St. Louis, where I was trading maybe some of the fidelity or the power of the PA for my proximity to the band, and that kind of felt okay, you know. But we were hearing the show basically in the Snake Pit. They had these little monitors facing us that they were high quality. I mean, it was crisp and it was pretty loud, but we weren't getting that thunderous PA. We weren't getting a lot of the bass info. And yeah, that, see,
1: mine was about opposite. I was getting a fair amount of bass because, I, I mean, I could hear the bass pretty clearly. It right. was just, I could hear the acoustic sound of the snare louder than the PA and it was just kind of throwing, or maybe just as loud, but it was kind of throwing me off a little bit.
0: Yeah, that would be a pretty weird thing, especially you kind of, you're you're in tune with stuff like that. So someone like your wife, for example, may have just heard something be a little weird but not really know what it was. But it's almost worse for you if you can kind of identify, like, you're like, I'm hearing the actual snare hit. <laughs> and then you're hearing the PA echo, right? Like you were hearing yeah, some kind of weird and latency. And there is that
1: slight latency. I yeah. mean, it's it's ever so slight, but it's there.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. So into Seek, into now, I would have. This is one of my favorite fourth slots of the whole tour. They played Ride the Lightning. That's pretty rare yeah. for this tour.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen that pop up too much. I was uh, I was really curious as to what we were gonna get because I know they did Shortest Straw. I think the show before, right? Um, so I was thinking, you know, I was honestly thinking I wouldn't be surprised if they did Harvester here, right? Um, or Sanitarium, but that, in, that ends up coming a little bit later. But yeah, Ride the Lightning was was awesome.
0: Well, they've been kind con- of so the, the set list started crazy like Unforgiven, three No Leaf Clover. And then they kind of mellowed out for the most of the middle of the tour. And then, yeah, before this, it's like when they got out to Cali, they were doing Leper, Messiah, Shortest Straw, Phantom Lord, and now Ride the Lightning. It's like they got exciting in that fourth slot again. I wonder what, what dictates all that stuff.
1: Yeah, I I mean, it's got to be – I know that Lars is really in tune with what they played the last time they were in that general vicinity. Right. So I was trying to make educated guesses because really the last time they've been in that – I mean, this is central California we're talking about. So the last time they were here was Pasadena. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, okay, how much is he taking into account the Pasadena show? Is he taking into account that it's probably a different audience because of the stadium versus arena or is he thinking – most of the people who are at Pasadena are going to be here. Let's switch it up a little bit.
0: There's a note on the uh, Metallica.com where you can see the set list. It's just amazing that they have all this shit. You can see all these pictures from the show and all these notes. One of the notes is: This night was the first time Hardwired, Atlas, Lightning, Now That We're Dead, Hit the Lights, Moth, and Spit were performed in Fresno.
1: Yeah, because what they last played Fresno in like 2009 or something.
0: Let's see, last performance in Fresno was December 13th, 20, 2008. Oh eight, okay, close. So yeah, you were close, still. yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, for,
1: I I can't imagine Fresno is a huge market for them. I mean, it's it's Central California, kind of you know surrounded by a bunch of mostly just cows and stuff.
0: Right, know? right. But I guess this is kind of their L.A. arena tour, like they're right because they they did they did the stadium last year, but this, yeah, yeah. This is their closest they're playing to L.A. and in the arena, right?
1: Yeah, which is kind of surprising. They didn't do, do the forum, the but forum, then maybe, yeah. maybe maybe they thought you know we're doing B markets. Let's go a little bit different. And it seems like this uh, this venue, Save Mart, was was a tad smaller than the forum,
0: right? Or Staples Center, maybe?
1: Uh, I actually never been to Staples Center. Okay. Oddly enough, I've driven by it, but that's about it.
0: It makes me wonder if it makes me wonder if there is another shorter run. On the horizon of a market arenas like they didn't do the garden they didn't do an arena in manhattan they didn't really do chicago they didn't do la you know it'd be cool it's, if they did like a week or two of shows just hitting a markets but for the arenas next year yeah that, that would be awesome that'd be pretty fucking cool uh so here's what i would have been con- not concerned about but here's what i would have been honing in on during lightning is kirk solo how did he do you have any memories of how, was he tight on that? Did he, did he sound good? Did he seem confident with that one? That's a bitch of a solo.
1: Oh yeah. From, from what I listened to, uh, just today on the, on the recording, nailed it. Um, cool. and from what I could hear, there's that one section where he does that climb, you know, and uh, from what I, I heard that in, you know, live and I was like, he nailed it,
0: cool. nailed it. Love that. It's one of my yeah, favorite, my favorite Kirk solos. Solo. Yeah, absolutely. So then you get sanitarium, which that's a, that's a treat. In the ballad balladish kind of slot, doesn't get as yeah. much love as Fader One, so that's cool. And actually, you actually got Fade and One on the set too. This is kind of a, heavy a lot ballad of ballads night. in this, yeah. yeah.
1: Which was, I mean, I love Sanitarium, but it's a little like disappointing because it's like, oh, you know, give me another barn burner, right? Yeah. <laughs> but they're they're doing this thing now where they're playing kind of an extended tape for Sanitarium, real kind of ethereal ambient kind of thing. And this is one of the moments where Lars goes into his little cubby.
0: Right. How long would how long would you guess that that lasts? Like, is it like two minutes or something?
1: Uh, no, between probably thirty and sixty seconds, from what I can remember.
0: Oh, okay, that's not bad.
1: Yeah, not not terribly long.
0: And it's kind of exciting. The lights go out. You hear a tape. The stage is empty. It's mysterious. That's that's kind of fun showbiz stuff too.
1: Oh yeah, and then Hetfield appears out of nowhere, and and it it they skip that harmonic section and they just go right into the the main riff.
0: Okay. Interesting. Which I, I
1: found interesting. Yeah, because I, I do like that harmonic section, but then again that main that main riff is, is killer.
0: You're talking about like the dung, bang, gong, bang. Yeah, that's bang, that's gong. been replaced by a tape. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. Uh the Now That We're Dead, so people have said this is interesting to get your opinion on this since you're such a load reload era dude. People have talked about Now That We're Dead sort of being maybe the biggest homage to that era of the band. Do you agree with that?
1: Oh, definitely. I remember the first time I heard it, I thought of Fixer and I thought of Outlaw Torn.
0: Nice. Yeah.
1: Just that that little... It, it almost sounds like it could be improvisational. Right. That he's just jamming. It sounds like on the neck pickup, it's got that real kind of warm, bubbly tone. And I, I remember the first time I heard that, I was so stoked.
0: Yeah. What do you think about the drum section?
1: Um, it's not my absolute favorite, but... Um, but it's still cool. It's something different that they've never done. My my big qualm, and this is me getting really nitpicky, mm-hmm. is the the pattern that they play when you know Lars is still on the kit doing the "now that we're dead" pattern, and then the guys are playing a dotted eighth note, and then they kind of you know click the sticks to to reset the bar, mm-hmm. and then they all come off and they all play the dotted eighth note pattern with no quarter note pulse, and it. it looks like it really throws Kirk off.
0: Can you, for and our I, listeners who maybe don't understand that, can you sing? When you say a dotted eighth note pattern, can you give us an example of what you mean?
1: Yeah, so so your quarter note, or actually your eighth note pulse in this case would be like dun, 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 you get that pulse going, mm-hmm. and then the dotted eighth is every third eighth note, so it's dun, 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 you know, so it's it's on the beat on one, and then it's in between beats on the second one, and then that loops. Right. So that's the pattern that they're doing. And it looks like it throws off Kirk. So I just I wish that just tell Kirk to do eighth note, just (laughs) have Kirk do the solid pulse and let James do the rhythm and Lars do the rhythm because, you know, James knows what's up on that.
0: Kirk does seem to be the most uncomfortable on stage during that segment of the show. Oh, definitely. Which I'd be I would that would be me like, oh, my God, my friends in my band really want to do this thing. My my lead singer is a frustrated drummer. And he, we've built this whole fun thing in. Oh, my God. I have to do this every fucking night now.
1: Yeah. It's just like, just give him an easy pattern to do so he can just, you know, relax.
0: Right. Relax. So he can have fun instead of looking kind of like rigid and like he's, he's like, he's, from what I remember from the two stadium shows, he was just like super focused on it, trying to get it right, you know? Oh,
1: yeah. And he, he kind of, he dropped it in Pasadena, which he did better in Fresno. And I do like the cubes better than the, the, you know, big drum thing. Right um cubes look pretty
0: sweet yeah the cubes are, are pretty bitch and i agree the drums were fun too though like they were just so big i mean there was some there was they were kind of a spectacle you know
1: yeah and i remember when i saw those the you know the traditional looking drums i i was really refreshed because when they started that it was just the pads and mm-hmm. it looked so awkward yeah so i'm glad they made something out of it
0: yeah and i think they even changed like I think from the St. Louis show to the Detroit show, they added like a snare pad into James's. He didn't have a snare before.
1: Yeah, because I remember in in, uh, Pasadena, it looked like it was a real snare.
0: Yeah. I think they were just kind of troubleshooting and trying to, uh, you know, that's one thing that's cool about them. It was evolving as the tour went along. Kind of seeing what worked and what didn't. And from what I've heard, the arena shows, the drum section is a, a bit shorter, too. I don't know if you agree with that.
1: Yeah, it definitely is a bit shorter. Okay, uh, Lars cool. Lars will get off and go back on the kit, and then he starts doing you know the the quarter note or eighth note pulses, and then Hetfield does the slide with the stick. And when that guitar comes back in, it's like, oh, I've missed that, you know, <laughs> that sound.
0: Was James playing the the truckster for that,
1: uh, or the that white one, iron believe- cross? Uh, no, he he didn't pull out the white iron cross because um, I know he played the vulture for the first two, the yep. you know the V, yep. and then he had the camo snake bite on um, Seek, okay, and then from what I remember, it was the the you know older kind of S and M era Ken Burns for, mm-hmm. or Ken Lawrence. Sorry, I'm a video Ken Burns, <laughs> Ken, Ken <laughs> were, Lawrence. For,
0: he came out to talk about the Civil War and Mark Twain. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny, dude. So he played uh, yeah, the Ken, Ken Lawrence, Lawrence on the ballet. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. He always got, he always has that on on Sanitarium and. Uh, he wasn't playing the Sand got Man the got
0: riff truckster on Now That We're Dead. He usually plays one of those Les Paul looking ESPs.
1: Yeah, it's the the black truckster, but okay. it's it's no longer. He he carved in riff life right under the uh, right, right under the pickups.
0: Right, instead of got riff, that's right. Yeah. Cool. All right, then we move on to creep.
1: I was so excited that that is probably my second favorite song of their entire catalog.
0: And your first is obviously "Attitude."
1: <laughs> obviously, no. What's your uh, first favorite? I, I, I'm gonna have to go "Blackened."
0: Yeah, yeah. That's I,
1: just you know, I pick up the guitar and that's the first riff I play. You I'm, know,
0: I'm I'm similar. My first is "Creep" and my second is "Blackened." So,
1: oh, well, there we go. Those
0: two songs tend to rise to the top for most Metallica fans.
1: Oh, they're they're just they're untouchable.
0: You actually got kind of a you got a ride the lightning little trio here: creep into bells and the fade. Yeah, that's exciting. And then and then
1: obviously ride the lightning. So we really got the first four from that out, al- or not the first four. We didn't get fight. We got right, to, uh, creep right. to death. So yeah, most of the first side.
0: Right. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, any ride the lightning heavy set is a okay with me.
1: Yeah, which it seems like they're they're really not shy to do. I mean, they they bust out stuff from that album quite often.
0: I just well I've said it before I mean well I'll say it again it's pound for pound it's got the most power it's got the most classics you know oh definitely just for the eight songs that are on that record um and they sometimes even play fight fire in the thrash slot so shit they, they give that record a lot of love they really do anything memorable about the creep the dissection or the intro to bells kirk solo and fade anything cool about those
1: uh not nothing really stuck out as idiosyncratic to this show, but mm-hmm. they, they pretty much just they nailed it all the way through. Obviously the die section is always fun, you know, but when, when James starts singing I totally ditch the die and I just go back into the lyrics.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well what, yeah, I mean I'm 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 singing whatever James is singing all night. That's, oh definitely. that's what I'm doing. I'm honing in on him, you know. Yeah. Uh how did Kirk sound on the fade to black solo? Everyone sounded good?
1: Oh, Kirk nailed that that beginning Fade to Black Solo. Cool. And awesome. he, had, uh, he had the greenie out,
0: which was always a treat to see. I, I've said that before, too, but I just think it's so cool that he tours with that guitar. It's amazing. For those of you uh, who don't know, would... it's worth like $2 million, if not more.
1: Yeah, dude, that would scare the hell out of me to bring that on stage.
0: Again, it's that Metallica, fuck it attitude, you know, that they're, yeah. that they're yeah. carrying into their 50s. I dig it. So next we kind of have the, it's the Kill em All slot, I guess, is what it's been. And this is where your wife may, have, I guess, have gotten the four horse when you guys got hit the lights.
1: Which, which, which was great because I haven't, I haven't seen Hit the Lights live yet. We got Motor Breath in uh, Pasadena, so it was really cool to see Hit the Lights.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen Hit the Lights either. I'll and then
1: on. I, think, I yep. think it was this song. Um, James has this sunburst Les Paul, which knowing Hetfield, I'm going to guess it's probably a late 50s, Yeah, with yep. a Bigsby on it, which right. is a gorgeous instrument, but it's weird to see him with it.
0: Yeah, I, he that was what he was playing on. Uh, they posted a video of No Remorse, and he was playing that too. It's it is kind of weird to see him playing a Sunburst Les Paul. I I love it though.
1: Oh yeah, and from from what I've seen in the you know, making of Hardwired, it seems like he's got at least a few in his arsenal.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think he's he collects those fifty eights and fifty nines like Kirk does. And that yeah, one well, that I mean, one's the Holy what it, Grail instrument, right? And that 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 one that he put pulls out. He's been pulling out for whatever reason. Must be. It just must be a little magic for him. Does he use the Bigsby at all?
1: No, the, he's got the arm just you know flipped to the back, like okay. like I would do. Interesting, much. <laughs> interesting.
0: I have a Bigsby on almost every guitar I own. I just love. Yeah, I have it, it on
1: two, and I what I do is I take the spring out and I put a piece of PVC pipe because for an SG it helps the balance quite a bit.
0: A piece of PVC pipe.
1: <laughs> yeah, because I don't. My least favorite function about the Bigsby is the vibrato
0: oh and
1: I, half of me just loves freaking out people like they, they'd see it and go what's this i'm like yeah you know but i mostly like it on the sg just to kind of balance it out so it's not quite as neck heavy but gotcha we're getting off topic
0: gotcha <laughs> oh well, there are gear nerds who love hearing about this kind of stuff so i then, hope so cause so, I then, so then you get the first metallic song you ever heard fuel i'm sure that was a treat have you seen fuel before though i imagine you have
1: yeah, almost every show. We got it in. I got it the first show. I got it in San Diego '04, and I got it uh, the last two.
0: I've also seen it. I've only seen them four times, but I've seen Fuel at every one of them. It's just a bona fide oh, yeah. staple, dude. It's a classic.
1: It really is, and I'm so. I mean, every time they do it, I just I flash right back to six, seven years old.
0: Mm, that's fun. That's that's powerful. That connection oh, with yeah. when you first came online.
1: Yeah, and then this show this was the first point where you see the, you know, the towers of flame and from right. where we were, I mean it'll make you sweat.
0: Right. So then we're in the moth with the drone. So I've heard kind of that the drone sitch from the rail maybe isn't as encompassing as it might be if you're in a bowl or something.
1: Oh, I would say most of the the visual presentation is kind of lost on the rail people. Yeah. Um uh, I mean the drones probably less so than the cubes. So it was cool to see kind of up close you know the drones come out of the stage and they're all lined up and then and then they start flying and it looks bitchin but what was what was cooler to me than the drones is i was like six seven feet away from the carl guitar Mm. because at one point he comes up to to our microphone and i mean you can see all the wood grain and the nails and it was extremely cool
0: so he's playing that on moth is that that the only song he plays the carl guitar on
1: um, from what I remember, it is.
0: Or he doesn't. Uh, does he play it on puppets when they come back out and new puppets? Because oh, he not Notice
1: what he was playing on puppets.
0: What did he play on Sabbath True, which was after Mob? Was he playing that purple snake bite?
1: No, he was playing the white one.
0: Okay, cool.
1: Which is weird because he used to save the camo for Sabbath True, yep. but he was using it
0: on Seek. Yeah, when you said he played it on Seek earlier, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Because I, I I assumed it was like tuned down or something. Oh, and you know what? The purple one is for Dream No More. So the purple one I think is like a baritone maybe it's tuned yeah it's tuned into c sharp i think
1: yeah because sad and seek well and seek now is uh those are both d standard oh, i that's think right. you're right dream no more is, is c sharp
0: i forgot they do seek a whole step down now
1: yeah and it's they've been doing that since at least 2004 and it, really? it sounds cool yeah it's, yeah it's
0: heavier for sure did he now, do i think we may ahead. have
1: skipped a song in the set though
0: i'm looking at the set so uh now that I we're dead we creep bells yeah, I kind of threw the Creep, Bells, and Fade in together. Uh, oh, okay. Well,
1: I wanted to mention one thing that yep. was really cool with Bells. That was another one my wife was looking forward to because we got married in on June 3rd of this year. Oh, congrats. And, oh, thanks, dude. Uh, yeah, we didn't do a first dance at our wedding. We wanted to do a first song. We had a live band. Uh, my friend – actually, all of them are my friends. So what we did was – her favorite band is Paramore. Mm-hmm. So the first song we did was a Paramore tune, and then we went right into For Whom the Bell Tolls. Nice. So it was really cool for us to, to see From the Bell Tolls because last July we saw Paramore and they, they played the song that we did. So this year we've got to see both bands play the songs that we played.
0: Well, that's cool to share that with your wife and make that yeah. show really unique. Which uh, Paramore song?
1: Uh, the song is called Still Into You.
0: Okay, cool.
1: So she sang and I played my 2014 Gibson Explorer. Oh, nice. Yeah, so now on Bells here this year, Hetfield's got his 58 Karina Explorer. Yes. Oh man, I, I there's a vintage guitar magazine about uh, that one and Greeny him and Kirk are talking about. You know they're, they're like I don't want to disclose how much I paid for it, but you know <laughs> we really like collecting guitars.
0: Yeah, I feel like I saw a, a tuning room video where I guess whatever whatever town they were in that day, because people know that they look for this kind of shit. So I think sometimes when they go into town, some of their PAs or assistants or whatever are like, hey, some guy wants to bring show you this Karina or or a fifty eight or fifty nine Les Paul, and anyway. He, they had him like in cases in the corner of the tuning room, and, and him and Kirk are kind of talking about him. Like, I guess they had just bought him that day. And it's like, oh, I want, I would love to just have a fly on the wall camera of them talking about that for hours, you know?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: I love that Karina. I, I associate that guitar with The Edge from U2. He plays a 58 Karina and has for forever. It's just what I associate oh, yeah. with him.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's had that for a long time.
0: It's cool to see James play it. So that's cool. So James played that on Bells. Neat. What do you remember what bass Rob was playing for Bells? Was he playing the Jocko?
1: Uh, it's, it's tough with Rob's basses. Cause he's, you know, he's got so many that are kind of similar, but different, right. you know, he's got that rusty Warwick. He's got that burnt up. I don't know if it's Fender, but it looks like a jazz bass. Um, but he was predominantly playing Warwick. I think, I think for Bells, he may have had that burnt up jazz bass.
0: Okay, cool. Very cool. So, oh, I just, I'm looking at the photos now trying to see the basses he played, I navigated away from the set. So, <laughs> Going back to Sad, did he do the thing about the kids and the age and everything for Sad the True?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was obviously, it's a little different for every show, but mm-hmm. kind of talking about how they're spanning generations and their fans and everyone is welcome and, you know, the whole it's your first time or if you've seen us before, you know, we're happy to have you and all, all that kind of stuff.
0: I love that. I love the sort of like aging gracefully into recognizing that not that they're a legacy band, but that they, you know, they they have entire families now that are on the ride together. Oh, yeah. And it's cool to it's cool that they're not kind of washed up saying that they're still they're still at what, at what I consider to be another peak in the Metallica landscape and bringing yeah, everyone together agree. like that you know. So then, yeah, it looks like
1: the age span ahead. was obviously sixty seven or whatever it was, and then I think the youngest person there was about five.
0: Five. So that's a Holy pretty shit. good range. My poor bastard, poor kid. <laughs> <laughs> the, the parent in me—I've got a four-year-old daughter. The parent in me is like, "Don't take your five-year-old to Metallica." <laughs> you freaking rednecks no offense to anyone who did that i did, did did the five-year-old have like headphones on or anything
1: uh yeah headphones and they they he, five-year-old wasn't on the floor she was up in kind of the lower bowl but well, there well, was there a kid kid up on the rail who i think was 10 or 11 right and yeah. i was kind of scared for him because the rail is like right at like nose level and it's like dude if, if somebody comes flying over that kid is done
0: right when i mean was he there with his parents?
1: I, I'm going to have to imagine so. They they kind of zeroed in on him. They zeroed in on him, I think, uh, I don't remember at which point in the show, but, you know, obviously the camera just kind of goes to him.
0: Well, and it's true. I mean, that's a little younger maybe than me, but, it, I mean, I remember around 13, 14, 15, I was going to hardcore and rock shows. You know, my parents didn't know where I was, and some of it felt pretty dangerous. I mean, I went to a show when I was 17. I saw Oasis, and I thought I was going to get killed at that show. Just the crowd was so big and was surging so much that I lost my shoes. I couldn't breathe at one point. This chick – like we were basically – our arms were at our sides, and we couldn't move our arms. And the the crowd was moving like a wave. And this, oh, yeah. And this chick was crowd-serving, and her Doc Martin hit me right in the face, and I couldn't even like put my hand on my face to like rub it, you know? And That's I remember getting—I remember getting—I mean, I was literally fighting to get out of it. I was having a real not good time. And when I got out of it, I was like, Jesus Christ! I almost fucking died in that bitch. Like, <laughs> but there's something thrilling about that. I, oh my god! I hope if my daughter gets into that shit, she never tells me. We'll put it that way. <laughs> so then you get one and puppets, amazing one-two punch. And there's no pyro on one, correct? Did you only—you only get pyro for fuel. Is that it?
1: Uh, fuel and. I think it was, there was one more in the set. I don't remember exactly okay. what song it was, but the, the big Tower of Flame was only really two songs.
0: Right. Anything memorable about One or Puppets? I mean, we we kind of all understand and know those are two of the most powerful songs in their catalog.
1: Yeah, I remember um, Nothing Really Sticks Out as Being Subpar or Extraordinary. It was sure. just, you know, they nail it like they do, but I was really honed in on the double kick and One, naturally, because they extend that part twice as long than they do on the record.
0: Hmm. So okay. I'm,
1: I'm looking at Lars's feet like, OK, are you doing it? Because there was some other double kick in the, like Ride of the Lightning. He was nailing it and just, mm. you know, the 16th. Right. So it seems like he dropped it just a little bit. Um, and it's probably because when when it really starts to ramp up before that part, um, it's they I don't know if it's deliberate or, or not, but it, it speeds up considerably.
0: Yeah interesting and
1: i watched it i mean i just watched it happen and so when it comes to that part i'm like yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna slag him because i i wouldn't be able to do it
0: no fucking way at
1: that that speed no
0: no fucking way how was the guitar mini solo at the end of one
1: it it was hard to hear again from where i was um and i think that was just because there was a security guard right in front of me with you know in front of what looked to be the kind of the high-end speaker and i asked him i said hey is there sound coming out of that speaker from where you are and he looked at me and he shook his head and then he like pointed at the sub below it. And he's like, no, it's coming out of here. I'm like, that's the sub, dude. That's just the base. Can you right. move? And he just wouldn't move.
0: <laughs> Interesting. He just ignored you?
1: Yeah. I mean, it seemed like it, it, it looked like the security staff was, I mean, the look on their faces, they weren't playing around. They were ready like for a war and it nothing really got too out of hand to where they needed to take anybody over the rail. So it's like, you guys, you can let up and relax a little bit
0: yeah from what I've heard from doing these metal tales and from what I actually saw at the stadium tour the rail at the stadium seemed to be quite a bit rowdier walking from because you have to walk basically the length of the entire rail to get into the snake pit and it seemed pretty pretty crowded and then in Detroit we tried to we tried to Hollywood our way into the snake pit got denied then had to do the fucking walk of shame back through the rail (laughs) I took a fake phone call I couldn't handle it
1: oh yeah I I probably would have done the same
0: my, I was there with Paul and Ethan, and they were giving me shit. I was like, I'm taking a fake phone call. I can't handle this shit. <laughs> Everyone was like, oh, boo, you guys are losers. And we were. <laughs> they were not wrong. All yeah, right, but it
1: always sucks to go through
0: that. It did. Well, I didn't even, dude, here's how much I didn't want to go through with it. I was willing to not even get into the snake pit. They were like, dude, we have like a 50-50 chance of getting in. Isn't it worth it? I was like, I don't think so, man. The humiliation and the shame, I just don't know if I can handle it.
1: I, I definitely
0: can't. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, let's just go to Big Mick and fucking watch it from back there. I also had the benefit of having done the, the Snake Pit like a few months before. So I, maybe if I had never done it, I might have been like, fuck it. Let's just go try it. Yeah, definitely. All right. So Encore time. You got spit off the bone. You know, it's weird how that – if you would asked me if that would be a tour staple this, and last, this year, I would have said no fucking way. But it totally yeah, is a tour same. staple.
1: I was kind of hoping for Blackened, yeah. Um, but I, you know, when I heard that spit tape, I'm like, not surprised, you know, because when's the last time they played spit in, you know, Central California? Never. Right, right. So it's like, of course they're gonna play it.
0: Right. And you know, but, uh, I, I don't think they'll play it after this after this tour. So I kind of want to. It's like My Apocalypse almost. It's like I almost kind of want to just soak it up.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because when you haven't seen My Apocalypse since the World Magnetic Tour.
0: I yeah, and I never did see that tour, and I it's like. You know, shit, I may never see it.
1: Probably not.
0: So then we get Nothing Else Matters, and Sandman was – were either of those two, one of the other ones your wife wanted to hear? Or she just wanted to hear Horsemen and Bells?
1: Uh, She definitely wanted to hear Sandman. that was like – she's like, that's like a bucket list thing, like to see the band that has pretty much the greatest hard rock heavy metal song in the world play it live. Absolutely. Like, you know. (laughs) So, yeah, Nothing Else Matters from what I remember um, from the – the part that was easiest to hear is just that clean section in the beginning. And the guitars just sounded phenomenal right like just absolutely killer just that clean EMG tone you know like I love it
0: yeah it's kind of comp- it's kind of it's almost too compressed in a way like for any other application I would tweak that tone but it's perfect for that song which definitely is, yeah which, which is weird because it's not that way on the record really. You know, well, because like,
1: on the record they're using all kinds of different guitars. I think I think Hetfield at one point has the you know uh, EDS twelve seventy five, the Jimmy Page Stairway to Heaven guitar.
0: He's doing those for like diamonds, and then you know you can hear an acoustic. There's like nylon shit, and I think you can see him playing one of his YDSPs on it too. Like I, I wonder if they even used a Les Paul in the recording.
1: I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they probably pulled out all the stops for the recording.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. But you're right. There are a lot of different. There's even that white falcon for the for the kind yes. of tremolo arm thing going into verse one. Yeah. But yeah, I kind of you know. And I, did Kirk do a kind of little noodly solo before nothing else matters?
1: Yes, he did. Yeah, and I, I think, I think that's, that too. I think that's pretty much a staple now too. Right. Because heffield has got a switch from I forgot what he was playing on Spit, but he's got a switch over to the Ken Lawrence.
0: Was he playing the Electra White V for Spit?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, he was. That's yeah. pretty much the that's what he plays on that slot yeah. almost always. Kind time. of
0: a throwback. It's it's cool cuz he used to you play that for Seek cuz that was kind of a throwback, you know. Seek was a throwback yeah. moment. It's it's kind of cool how certain guitars go with certain moments in the set. I I dig that aesthetic about them. I I mean, Jesus. I wonder how many people are that nerdy about it like you and I, but I like that about <laughs> it.
1: Hopefully more than than we consider.
0: Well, we know there are at least two, and Ethan's out there somewhere. He will make that 3. <laughs> so this show's over you did they say their goodbyes and you know do lars do his typical sort of he knows every fact of, ever about fresno when he's saying goodbye
1: yeah pretty much yeah they all have their their goodbyes and then you know when as the song is ending there's these actually uh when it kicks into the main riff and towards the end there's there's some really cool kind of fireworks that shoot up right. surrounding the drums um but that is one of one of my favorite moments in the set and this is what I noticed last year too is is when the song is done and the pyro's going off and the fireworks and everything and you can just when you're that close you see Hetfield look up into the nosebleeds and they they illuminate the crowd you know you can see everybody clearly hmm. and just the look on his face as he's saying he's not even in the mic he's just like mouthing the words thank you to the people in the nosebleeds and that gets me every time it's like you know as much as I've heard that song and sometimes I'll skip it, you know, that's the reason that we're all here in this building together. For that sure, this song is why, and it's is like that gets me every time I see it.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree, and I think about Kirk a lot too. Like what an achievement for him in that band that that's you know that's probably his greatest con- contribution to the band, and, and a huge litany of other contributions. But you're right, like that song is kind of why we're all there all these years later, and it's still that ubiquitous. It's still that powerful. I will never choose to put it on, but if it comes on, I'm not skipping that fucking song. That song is oh awesome. no, that's
1: that song sounds great. It's a bitchin' song, and you know it's it's and it's great when you when you want to burn down the black album and it just opens with it. You're like, all right, I'm on for the ride. Yeah. Killer
0: opener, I know. I think it would be really fun if 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 they tour again uh, next year or whatever. If they go back to opening with Sandman, I think that would be so fun.
1: Yeah, because I don't think they've done that since the 30th anniversary, right? Or at least way early in the set.
0: Did they open with the 30th, an- at 30th anniversary with Sandman?
1: Uh, I think all of those shows opened with an instrumental and then I think on that's one of right, them the Sam Wang yeah, was like right. second and I think Hetfield said something like, Okay, now that's out of the way.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, because those shows were for the diehards, you know. Oh Yo, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess they haven't like in in true proper form opened up with it since the Black Album tour.
1: Yeah, and like I remember you guys had brought that up on another episode of how weird it is now.
0: Because at the time, it's
1: just like this is just the opening track on a new album. That's what we always do. Yeah. And now it's, it's boggling to think like you actually opened with that.
0: Well, how crazy is it that they could play the Black Album, you know, when they were doing the 30th anniversary of the Black Album and then at that One Orion gig, they played it back to front. And it's amazing how that record is already sequenced like a show. Like, the, the hits get bigger and bigger as they go. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, you got Nothing Else Matters maybe towards the back, but opening with Struggle Within and going through kind of the deep cuts and then ending with Sabbath True and Sandman, it's like, holy shit, it's like per- a perfect set. Oh, yeah,
1: definitely, because there's no way you're going to play that whole album front to back. People to leave by song four, you know? <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I'm not a big Struggle Within fan. So for me, it's like, let's get that one out of the way. Let's start Yeah,
1: rocking. see, that's maybe where we disagree a little bit, because I love that song.
0: I have not, honestly, in all of my Metallica travels the last two years, I haven't met anyone other than me that doesn't like that song. I, I'm like the total <laughs> fucking pariah on that song. Ethan hates that I don't like that song. <laughs> well, dude, here at the end of the show, man, thanks again for, for coming on last minute. It's been one of my favorite ones to do. You're real easy to talk to of course we appreciate the patreon support it's nice to be able to tell you over the phone in person how much we really appreciate that kind of support and tell the uh tell the good people where they can find your your youtube channel
1: yeah uh, youtube.com uh, it's basic gear review basic is with two s's it's kind of a pun on geezer butler's basically track mm-hmm. um you know signify that we're exclusively base but uh yeah, you can find us there, or of course, basicgearreview.com, Instagram, Facebook. I think those are the only two socials that we're on. But if you're into gear and/or into bass, we might be your favorite channel.
0: Well, let me say this too. Let me let me reiterate reiterate this, and I'm not just saying this because Chris is here on the phone with me. I've wa- I watch all these fucking gear review things a million times. This one is really good. The quality is really high. The gear is good. The video is good. The audio is good. It's a unique concept where they're having people send in videos of themselves playing. They're reamping it. You're getting to hear it in real-life application, and I don't know of any other one that does that. So kudos to you, man, for finding a a cool niche in that world.
1: Cool, man. Thank you very much.
0: And that's it, dudes. Uh, I guess let's just go ahead and say peace out. All right. See you, guys. Hey, this is Ethan and Clint from Metal of Your Podcast, and we want to talk to you about something we love called Patreon. That's right. Patreon is a way for fans of the show to give back to the show, to donate money that uh, helps us in quality and content. And not only that, but we've actually come up with all sorts of fun incentives to give back to you for supporting the show. Exactly. For instance, if you donate $5 or more, you get access to Cover Our World Black which is the official Metal Pure Podcast Metallica cover EP. That's right, and that's the only way to get it. In addition to the EP, we also give you priority email access, meaning we'll read your email first on the show. We give you early access to Patreon-exclusive merchandise, Patreon-exclusive giveaways, and any other side projects that Ethan and I might be involved in. There's all sorts of things you can look at on there and you can donate to. Go check it out, patreon.com slash Podcast. How do you spell that, Clint? P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Podcast. And if you really think about it, $5 a month for an entire year, that's really just like a cup of coffee a month. So go check it out. Thanks, everyone. Peace. Adios.